Welcome to another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast with your hosts, David and Nick. In this episode, we mourn a big loss. See David Harbour in a whole new light, run away at Marvel, and find out what the fifth medal is. Stay tuned for all this and more. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. See, now I, uh, you've got me like in like a Stockholm Syndrome situation. Oh, well, I, it just felt like you had something more to say, so I didn't want to be rude and interrupt, but heck yeah. All right, cool. Well, I mean, all you'd be interrupting is me saying, I'm David, that's Nick, you're the listening audience, and this is the show where we talk about comic books and the news and the latest stuff coming out and all that kind of stuff in between, whatever catches our fancy. That is what we're here for, yes. Yep, we're here for the fancies. You want to make sure that our fancies are acknowledged and your fancies are acknowledged. Do you have a fancy that you don't feel is acknowledged? We want you to write in, heckyeahcomics at gmail.com. Tell us what your fancy is. Are you replacing the word, like, are you, do you mean, like, kink or fetish when you're saying fancy? Or are you talking about, like, what? like wearing what? i just i just want to be clear because like you're, you use the word fancy a lot and i just i got confused early well on. it's like you know people are like what's your like what's your fancy like i don't think they're saying like hey do you enjoy it I, with I, dolls I, oh gosh do you like I it think, when teddy bears watch from the corner oh my what, what david what what is your fancy jeez um how much oh, time you way, get <laughs> it was just the way that you're saying it was like what's your fancy is like it's more like, are you fancy or do you fancy that? Right, right. What's like, what's the thing that you fancy? That's what I want to know. But not like in a sexual you, way. We were just, I think, just like the way that you were wording, wording, wording so, it. You were murder, wording. Oh murder, wording. Murder, 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 murder. Murdering. Here's what I'm okay with. I'm okay with people. Okay, so no, like really weird sexual. I mean, if you want to send weird sexual stuff, go for it. But only in the context of I want to read your uh, fan fiction about Nick and I. That I'm totally curious about. Uh, Why? Why are you curious? And also, which Legion of Superheroes you have a fetish for? I don't want like I don't want any other superhero team. Just like Legion of Superheroes. I want to know which of those Legionnaires you've got it for. Matter Eater Lad off the table. But everyone else. Why, why Matter Eater Lad? I said he's off the table because he's the like he's the funniest one, and, but yeah. So those are the two weird sexual things that I want to hear about from you, our listening audience. Man, this show already off the rails. Yeah, that happens. All right. Well, why don't we go ahead and talk about some comic book news just to get ourselves back on the rails. Our top story today: After a disappointing <laughs> summer, Humpty Dumpty has a great fall. Well, last week, we were scraping the bottom of the barrel to find some news stories, and this week, our cup runneth over. Nick, that's not a sexual thing. Just want to make sure you know that. I, I don't assume that everything is I, a sexual thing. I just know, want that to be clear. All right. Mo- most I do most, most things. things. I just want, <laughs> you think but, you, you, you like assume most is, things are. 
there is a percentage of things that I think are completely non-sexual, like platonic, benign, like, um, I'm good, I'm good. All right, well, this is a perfect way for us to segue. This awful way to segue uh, into this first story. So we'll just go ahead with a, with a palate cleanser. We will say that the comic industry was dealt a great blow this week. Uh, as Lynn Ween, Lynn Wine, I'm not 100% sure on the name pronunciation. Um, I've heard both from different news sources. Uh, but Lynn Wine has passed away at the age of 69. He was a very influential in the comics industry in so many ways. Um, most notably, people would probably argue for Wolverine and Swamp Thing. Uh, also co-creator of characters like Storm, Colossus, Nightcrawler, editor on books like Watchmen. Uh, he was uh, he was a force in the comics industry. He, he absolutely was. Um, I mean, granted, I discovered it years after, you know, it debuted. But I definitely recognize the importance of, say, like giant size X-Men. Like as much as uh, Chris Claremont's attributed to like the overall success of the X-Men, he ultimately worked off the springboard that Len Wynn and Dave Cockrum initiated with giant size X-Men mm-hmm. um, and sort of rebuilding that particular franchise or yeah. I guess it really wasn't a franchise at the time, but that team and that identity, uh, I mean, among other, I mean, other properties across, you know, the comic sphere, both Marvel, DC, um, yeah, you know, it's... It, and DC definitely on like the, uh, the editing side. I mean, we wouldn't have had, uh, new like new team titans without without him as an editor essentially and this of course reminds me that i have to i have to look at my favorite website is wolverine still dead.com uh, yes wolverine is still dead the runt has been dead for 152 weeks wow guys that's so much longer it's just, uh, it's like, okay, I get, oh, we're moving off the limb wind train here for a second, but like, yeah, I get that he, like, the one that got encased in adamantium died uh-huh. 112 weeks ago, but with like old man Logan running around, everyone just basically being like, well, it's a Logan, I guess we're okay. Right. You oh, know, yeah, no. It doesn't feel like he's been gone. Like, it's, it's, if it had like just been X23 that stepped up, and which is kind of sad because it feels like there's like, on some level, they're saying, you know, we're not going to bring Wolverine back. We're going to bring this guy that's basically just the same Wolverine but with gray hair um, back because, like, we can't just have X-23 be Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Like, sure, Old Man Logan doesn't call himself Wolverine. Everyone's like, hey, Old Man, Logan, what's up? But, like, right. it, it maybe would have been – like, it would have felt – it would feel more impactful that, he, that he's been gone if it really was just, like, X-23 running around as Wolverine the... with Logan in the grave. Yeah, though it does appear that with Generations, uh, they will be bringing him back in some form or another. But let's move back to the incredibly influential uh, Len Wein. I don't know what we can say that hasn't already been said. Uh, thank you so much for everything that you have given to comics. And yep. you are you are missed and will continue to be missed. It's sad. This is one of those people who I think for a lot of comic fans, um, his influence was everywhere but uh, you know how many people knew his name right yeah right i mean definitely so i think most hardcore comic fans you know recognize it but even then you know definitely from a casual perspective from people that maybe are just more invested in the movies like especially for the fact that 
the movies and the TV shows garner such a bigger audience outside of just the people that are regularly purchasing comic books. Mm-hmm. Like they, they, most people, I would think most, but maybe there are some that don't realize it. Like they recognize that these, this, these characters come from the comics. And even though sometimes the movies and the TV shows attempt original stories, a lot of times those original stories are so heavily influenced from the stories that already came from the comic book. So it is kind of sad that like, as much as we might recognize Len Wen's contributions, you know, to comics that with just how much like Wolverine and the X-Men in general and other characters have just so ballooned in multimedia properties that like just maybe he's being recognized behind the scenes like he got royalties or whatever like how that ever shakes out but from sort of a cultural perception level it's it's unfortunate that he his influence isn't or his name at least isn't as widespread as his influence Mm -hmm. but yeah absolutely it is felt yeah oh well Um, yeah go ahead oh well uh, i'm Switching gears here, uh, we got our first look at David Harbour, uh, who you might recognize from Stranger Things, uh, as Hellboy in the upcoming Hellboy reboot. And when I say upcoming, I mean like really upcoming in the sense that it's not coming out until 2019, January 2019, apparently. Yeah, Hellboy Rise of the Blood Queen. I thought they dropped the whole Blood Queen. Uh, maybe, maybe they have. I don't know. Uh, that's just what variety I think the Blood is... Queen's still going to be in it, but, you know, it's... That's what Variety is still reporting it as. Um, but yeah, we got our first look. At, you know, I, it doesn't seem like necessarily even like a makeup test. Like this is what the look is going to be. And I gotta say, looking pretty damn good. Uh, this also confirms for me, looking at this though, that they also nailed it with Ron Perlman. Uh, they look very similar. And that's not a bad mm. thing. Right, like I, I, right now I've got the Variety article up, and they've got a picture of non-Hellboyed uh, David, David R. Harbour. Harbour, and they've got the picture, and like it really looks nothing like David Harbour. No, it really, it really doesn't. And I, I'm, I'm not saying I'm against the idea. I would have to see David Harbour shirtless because I'm assuming that even like his chest and muscles and all that, like he didn't obviously, excuse me, work out that extensively to look that muscular. And uh, wait, why wouldn't he? I'm saying he could, I mean, he could, but I just, I'm not, yeah. I'm not feeling that like part of that isn't prosthetic. No, I, th- I mean, they, they probably have, you make up enhanced it a little bit, like drawn attention to stuff a bit. Uh, like the veins, I would say definitely that's probably, uh, it's, he's probably not that veiny. Uh, if you are, you're dehydrated and that's a bad thing. Um, <laughs> Thanks doctor. Yeah, I'm just letting just letting people know. Uh, but I think mus you know muscle tone like that's what we expect our superheroes to look like. I wouldn't be surprised if they put him through that regimen. I mean, I definitely think he's worked out for the role, just like with most action heavy roles. You know, you really do have to put in some physical training to to get a certain physique. But I mean, I. I'm sure there'll be an article about it soon enough that will confirm it for us. But part of me still feels like some of that musculature is, is prosthetic, but that's not really the big thing we're talking about. The fact is, does he look like Hellboy? And the answer is yes, he does. Well, I want to go off on a tangent here a little bit because we have, time for, we have time for tangents. Um, I think there's going to come a day where, you know, a lot of stars are going to be retiring from these big roles, especially like, look at like Marvel. You're going to have a point where Chris Evans is not going to want to be Captain America anymore. 
Right. And this is always the one that like, I use as an example. I'm not saying it's the one that's going to be. Uh, it's just to illustrate my point. I always talk about Chris Evans as Captain America. Just because you like talking about Chris Evans. Go on. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, can you blame me? He's so handsome. Uh, <laughs> no, I really can't. I can't blame you. So there will come a point in the future because we're already getting really good at, uh, at you know, mapping faces and, and putting them onto, onto actors. We see it right now being used to do like young versions of characters uh, like we saw in Ant-Man and Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and in Westworld. Uh, I think that there will definitely come a time where Chris Evans is not going to want to be Captain America anymore, but they can go on and continue making Captain America movies with his face. But this is going to like lead to a whole new generation of acting, which is just body acting where people will learn like the, the mannerisms and uh, they will like work to specific musculatures uh, to, perfectly recreate these characters uh, as they were seen and then they're having having their face and voices replaced by the iconic characters. Maybe not even the voices. I mean, like, Chris, I mean, how are you going to replace his voice without having Chris Evans do the actual voiceover? And you still could have it. Uh, And also, from a legal standpoint, like, for the people they've done it so far have either been, like, like, say they did young Carrie Fisher, which I'm assuming they didn't actually use Carrie Fisher. I'm talking about the end of uh, Rogue One. Right. Uh, I think they did use a body double on that one. Um, they did. But with, but with like, uh, tar- tartar sauce or Peter general, Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing. Tartar. Grand Moff Tarkin. Grand Moff Tartar Sauce. Van Moff Tartar Sauce. I'm going to write that down, that down for an episode, yep. Van Moff Grand Moff Tartar Sauce. Grand Muffins. Um um wow i can't i can't let so that for, go like i just keep coming up with things for it all right for um, Grand he's dead he's dead yes tartar Peter. sauce is dead and <laughs> like that's one thing but let's say chris evans is alive let's just say that this is technology that has gone to the point where they're going to do it tomorrow chris evans has uh-huh. quit but they've got another captain america movie they want to do and they don't want to do the whole terrence howard to don Cheadle effect so they do what you're describing. Mm-hmm. Are they, so is it that the actor is both playing Chris Evans and Captain America? So does that mean that because they want to use Chris Evans likeness, that they also, they still have to pay Chris Evans for the use of his likeness? No, dude, like those Hollywood contracts. Now you sign away your likeness for stuff like this. I mean, without being privy to those contracts, you're right. In some cases they do ask you to do that depending on what the circumstances are. But where does the line of likeness, like we're going to use your likeness for the action figure versus we're going to use your likeness so that people can pretend to be you pretending to be our character. Uh, I will use, I mean, this is an example in, in which case the actor died, but Paul like, Walker in, uh, in fast seven, I can't remember what, I think that was fast seven. Uh, or Furious 7, I don't remember. But anyway, but there are more scenes than you think are Paul Walker CGI. And, like, they used his, like, brothers and body doubles and stuff to, and then, like, put his face on there. Right. You know, which, again, but this is this example with a dead person, which right, is right. probably a little bit easier to navigate. But when it's a living person and your I... likeness is being used, because think about it this way. Think about it as a living person, like, Tartar sauce cannot. I feel like really disrespectful, but I can't give up that name. Yeah, like can't. Um, 
you know, he uh, maybe his estate had something like they had to check with his estate and all that. But like, it's not like he's no, seen man. a dime. No, I, I'm telling you, like they signed you sign away like your face to these. He characters. signed it away back in the seventies where they probably weren't thinking of stuff like that. Or maybe uh, they were. Maybe they were. No, I like I, I from my understanding, this was like in the contract they could use his likeness for this character. And I think part of that is like in artwork and in like in you know I don't I don't know the specifics of the wording of the contract. Right, but, but I was, mean like at the at those times likeness like they they couldn't conceptualize that what we're able to accomplish now would be no, possible. but they would still make it broad enough that they could cover their asses with a lot of things. Right. So and I'm it, just I'm just curious like to like so. Using comic creators, because this is a comic book podcast, as an example, I know with some like crappier um, d- documents, legal documents that they had to sign when they signed stuff over, like they might have signed away like that, that Mar- say Marvel owns the character, but sometimes they still get some sort of compensation when that character transfers over to a multimedia property, like in a movie or a TV show. Mm-hmm. So, but again, like I feel like using your likeness is really different. If Chris Evans is still an active actor you know his face like no matter what he's in from now on like his face is important enough that they're going to use it to sell movies he's not actually in captain america 15 right but well but he's still alive and operating and marvel's using his likeness and basically saying it's not chris evans but it's so and so it's david harbour playing chris evans playing captain america right but i think i think you do have to understand they have like they have signed over their faces to it in a, like a lot of cases and you know i don't know what the wording of the contracts are now in perpetuity however that looks but it's not like it's not just action figure like you you watched bojack horseman season two yes where they scanned his face and they like, he as a digital version of him is actually what started yeah, yeah. like I, yeah, you know I, i'm not an expert on these things if someone is please write in and and tell me if i'm wrong tell me if nick's wrong whatever like, i am very curious because it is uh, from my understanding you are you have like signed away like I don't know to, to to what extent, but these companies can use your likeness in these characters in a bunch of different ways. Right. But let's let's move on with with our news story a little bit. Still on the Hellboy train, uh, we do want to mention that Daniel Day Kim has taken over uh, the role of um, shoot I forget the character. Uh, uh, Damo or D- not? It's not Dynamo. Dano? It's, I believe it's Dave. Not Dano. Dano, like, uh, hold on. Wow, this article also does not mention. Uh, oh, sorry, it's Major Ben. Major Ben Damio. Damio. Yep. Uh, Daimio. Who, who was originally uh, Ed Ed Screen or Ed Skirin? I'm sorry, bro. Uh, was in the role. Realized the character was written. Did not realize at the time the character was written for uh, an Asian actor came to realize it and then bowed out. Uh, and Daniel Day Kim has since been cast. Good call on Lionsgate part, because if they did not put an Asian actor in there, they would have had so much trouble. Right? Uh, that, I mean, as awful as it would be, like, the, like, Ed Scrye steps down, they're just like, nah, he did a really, really good thing, but we're going to get Ving Rhymes or Rhames. You have my attention. What you said? You I said you have my attention. Yeah, like in theory, I'm not against the idea, but um, obviously the representation of Asian Americans in Hollywood is quite limiting, and they definitely deserve, just in a general sense, you know, a lot more publicity is the wrong word, but exposure and a lot more um, creative roles. And okay, Daniel Day Kim is awesome, 
So I, I actually like that he's part. Like he's been like, I mean, there's probably tons of talented actors, but I do really like Daniel Day Kim. That's probably the lost nerd in me coming out. Uh, so I'm really excited to see what he brings to the character of Ben Damio. Uh, a character that I'm trying to think in the, I've read a lot of Hellboy and BPRD, but I've definitely fallen behind like several volumes ago. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I actually ever hit it. I'm assuming he came up in BPRD because he wasn't in the initial Hellboy volumes, like prior to Hellboy quitting the BPRD spoilers. Um, so I, I think he came in later. It doesn't matter. By the way, very exciting news. I'm really interested in how this movie is turning Hi, out and, and what the final product is going to be. Uh, sorry, video just started playing as I switch over to our next news article, uh, which actually I'm going to replay just a little bit here because I think it's going to put some stuff to rest here. So let's go ahead and jump back to the beginning. I'm Gal Gadot. Gal Gadot. She pronounces it Gadot. That's just good. Throw that out there. Uh, anyway, the reason that this video is playing is because it is now 100% official. The thing that everyone already knew was happening. Patty Jenkins is returning to direct Wonder Woman 2, set for a 2019 release. Uh, This was interesting because usually when movies come out and they're big hits and they go to the director and are like, hey, you want to do this again? It's usually like a done deal that seems to happen pretty quickly. This took some time. Um. Yeah, it it did. I mean, it, it was one of those things where I think maybe it was decided really early on, but just they weren't in it, like they weren't going to announce that they were waiting for a specific time. But obviously, apparently, Hollywood's like a leaky faucet, so there was already you know rumors and conjecture from the get go mm-hmm. saying that Patty Jenkins was coming back. But uh, obviously, these things, you know, one she probably got paid shit money to make Wonder Woman. Well, she also came clear- on late too, so it was probably yeah. Probably like we can't pay you a whole lot because we already blew it on the one director. Who uh, was was there a name director before Patty Jenkins? Yeah, it was um, Michelle McLaren. Oh, I, I vaguely remember that. I totally forgot though. Um, so yeah, but I mean, obviously, despite some of my opinions about the Wonder Woman film, it obviously did very very well, and I'm very excited about that. Uh, what? And obviously, what? I so. No, 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 sorry. I, I'm reading through this article um, right now that I hadn't fully read earlier. She was paid $1 million for directing Wonder Woman, uh, which, yeah. like, let's, let's say, as, like, as normal humans, $1 million is astronomical. As filmmakers, like, $1 million is not a lot. Uh, so she has actually now closed a deal where she's going to be making upward, upwards to 7 to $9 million, making her the highest paid uh, female filmmaker in history. Which, well, good, I mean, f- good for her. That's, that's awesome. I mean, that being said, and I don't know what the ratio is as far as like the equivalent in her position. Like when I say equivalent, I mean like she obviously taking gender out of the equation. She hasn't hit like say Christopher Nolan level, like kind of able to do what he wants, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So like I don't, but so like for someone as again taking gender out of the equation, like as a director that kind of like this is their big debut. Like they did, you know, some like independent films, maybe one an Oscar or two, but like, this was that big tentpole movie that like made a shit ton of money. Um, I don't know if like seven to $9 million is like decent for well, a director. No, no, it seems like it is in that it, same range. It, or if like, she's still making under what an equivalent male director would make in her position. Uh, it seems, you know, I don't know the specifics. Let me see. Cause she said that she was wanting to get paid. 
Like, how much did, basically, think of it this way. How much did John, John? Joss Whedon make, like, it, it, as much as he had some, like, genre properties, you know, that he had done, like, he wasn't in such a dissimilar place to Patty Jenkins at the start of Avengers. So how much did he make between, like, Avengers and Avengers 2? I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm. that's a good question. I'm not sure. I'm trying to look up real quick how much uh, Zack Snyder made while directing Man of Steel because that is um, allegedly what she was looking to make um, was that level of money. So I'm trying to... I was For Wonder just, Woman 2? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, this is going to seem... It seems like it's going to take me a while to figure out so i'm not going to waste waste my time Um, well here why don't you go ahead and introduce our next news story while i take a little more time trying to see if i can figure this out all right so uh dc and idw have announced another batman slash teenage mutant ninja turtles crossover so you might be a little confused because like hasn't there been like an ongoing series or something like that going and you're right there's the batman the animated series slash tmnt the current uh, cartoon version of the Ninja Turtles has been ha- has had an ongoing series. I I mean I I'm I'm speaking out of turn. I don't actually remember if it was supposed to be ongoing or if it's just another mini series. But it was independent from the first Batman slash Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles mini series. Uh, and it's coming back with original writer James Tinian Four. Uh, the, the fourth. fourth. <laughs> the fourth. James Tinian Four. The sequel to James, <laughs> James Tinian Three. Tinian the fourth. Which I guess and technically artist... he is the sequel to James Tinian Three. That is true. Uh, and artist Freddie Williams II. Um, so both really used to having, like, they've been, they're, they're not the original versions of themselves, um, are, are coming back uh, for this particular miniseries. Judging by images and not really paying attention to the article, it looks like Bane will be a part of it and Damian Wayne will also be well, the yes, Robin. Considering it says DC's Bane comes to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in new crossover. They're also using Batman's updated costume, the Greg Capullo post, uh, not in game, post um, super heavy. This is all, uh, this is costume. the one that they yeah this this is the look that he had in the last crossover as well. Did he too? Okay, I didn't yeah. remember how long in conjunction if it was the previous yep. costume or if it was supposed to be like an out of continuity um, story. So that's cool. Yep. Uh, David, how do you feel about this as a fan of both Batman and uh, Radioactive Turtles? Uh, well, real quick, I just wanna I wanna. Uh, tell people that it will be debuting December 6th with the second issue following just two weeks later on December 20th before slowing down to a monthly release schedule after that. Uh, I really enjoyed the first crossover. I actually thought it was, it was good. Um, it was the right amount of fun, the right amount of serious, uh, I'm very excited to see what they're going to do with a sequel and, you know, introducing Bane and, and, Maybe we'll have Batman cross over into their world, which is maybe it looks like what's happening here based on some of the images. Uh, yeah. Uh, I was reading it says that Donatello and Bane will switch places. That Donatello's going to come to DC's world. Yeah, that makes sense. Bane's uh, going to come go to the Ninja Turtles world. Uh, in the original miniseries, who, whose world did they spend time on? They, uh, they, Shredder came to Gotham and the Turtles came searching for him. So the DC universe. Okay. Okay. Cool. Interesting. I mean, they both take place in like cities. Like I know there's some characteristics of Gotham and then like Ninja Turtles. I believe, like I know in the oh. movies they hung out in New York. 
you know, but I like yeah, New, York, like New York City. The thing that Gotham is totally not based on you guys. Right. Right. So it's sort of like, does it really matter which world they go to? Like how much yes. of their like supporting cast are they really going to run into? I'm sure it does in contract negotiations. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure it does. But just like visually, like how other than adding like more gargoyles on buildings in the Gotham scenes, you know, how different is it really going to be? Well, but I imagine I, one, they're going to take, it's going to spend more time in sewers and one time they're going to uh, one they're going to spend more eating pizza when they're going to be uh, turtles in a half shell turtle power uh, there's going to be rude dudes with pizza and bad attitudes like come on these are all these are all staples and then over in Batman world you got dead parents and shit <laughs> that Potato, could potato. that could kind of describe like the DC universe, just like kind of like superhero stuff in general. Definitely like, superhero stuff in general. Like dead, dead parents, parents and shit. shit. Like, uh, oh man, I had this idea today of a, a supervillain who it starts out as like a guy who like hears all the stories of characters like, you know, the Flash where he was like, came from tragedy and he was like struck by lightning and that's how he became like the Flash and, uh, you know, I'm sure there's like stories around other superheroes. So you have like a guy who like puts himself in a really dangerous scientific situation and ends up getting like paralyzed and that like trying to become a superhero, but it doesn't work out for him. And so he gets like super bitter and hates superheroes. It's like really not very fleshed out. And I'm sure somebody's going to tell me like, here's six characters that are that exact thing. But yeah, you have to think like there would be people in these superhero worlds who would be putting themselves in really stupid situations because it's like, yeah, my cousin Ted got dumped on by a cement truck that a wizard peed in, and uh, and now he can fly while farting hot dogs. Like people would be doing stupid stuff all the time trying to get superpowers. Yeah, yeah, that. All right, yeah, I guess we're just going to go. It's fine. Uh, well, why don't we go ahead and talk about some superheroes and some other stuff while we dive into our reviews while I find the review bumper. To the Batmobile. Let's go. Real quick, before we jump into our reviews, I just want to ask people if, uh, you know, if you enjoy the show, which we feel like you do, you know, you've, you've been listening for a while now, uh, if you would head on over to iTunes or uh, I guess now it's Apple Podcasts and leave us a review or if you don't, if you listen somewhere else, leave a review there as well. We want more people to uh, to find out about the show, to hear about it and, uh, and, and get listening. And also, you know, if you're on, on Twitter and the like, go ahead and, and tweet about the show there. But, Nick, why don't we go ahead and hop in reviews? You usually start us off, so what do you got? So, I was debating between Mr. Miracle number two and Runaways. I wrote Runaway. That's <gasps> there for my own sake. There we go. Runaways, now it's official, number one. Um, for those that don't remember, though we have actually talked about this new series on the show previously, but Runaways was a series that began by uh, Brian um, Vaughn and uh, Brian K. Vaughn and Adrian Alfona back in the early 2000s about a group of teenagers or adolescents uh, who run away from home after they realize that their parents are a group of supervillains called the Pride. Uh, and thus, the term runaways is very relevant. But what happened is that once the initial conflict for the characters ended, Marvel didn't really know what to do with them. Like, Brian K. Vaughn, like, they kind of stayed on the run and so on and so forth. I won't go into the nitty-gritty details to spoil anything, but... 
they kind of fell into disarray because like clearly these characters had fans because their initial impetus had finished like what what do you do with them mm-hmm. um so there have been like a couple i guess there really hasn't been that many false starts. they've done some like crossovers like runaways slash young avengers and i know during secret wars they did a runaways book you know that maybe had a couple of the characters in it uh nico minoru um you know was hanging out with a force um but for the most part like a lot of characters have kind of been in limbo and this book is marvel's chance to capitalize on the fact that there's a hulu show coming out uh with for runaways um by bringing the band back together and that's really what this first issue was all about uh this is a spoiler i'm sorry but one of the original runaways gertrude york's does die in the initial series um so this book basically dealt deals with that head-on so you might it might be that when if you do pick up this issue if you're not familiar with the previous story that i highly recommend uh you might be a little lost and maybe don't have a lot of context maybe have a hard time connecting it was like what's with all this drama like who is this person why did they die yada 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 but anyway the plot and this isn't really a spoiler is um chase arrives in nico's apartment holding gertrude york's minutes before she died he basically traveled back in time uh and he was going to do something where like his his plan apparently was to like change something so that like she would never get stabbed, but he apparently arrived too late, which led to a really great line where Nico Minoru is like, you traveled through time and arrived late, which <laughs> I thought was perfect. Um, but, uh, oh, I didn't even mention, Rain- this uh, new launch of Runaways is written by Rainbow Rowell, who I have not read anything for, but I- I've heard that she's a really good like young adult um, like prose writer. And then, of course, fan favorite artist Chris Anka, who's worked with like Brian Michael Bendis on the X-Men books. Most recently he did the Star-Lord book with Chip Zdarsky that ended too soon. Um, so overall, like I, I didn't know what to think with Rainbow Rowell. I felt that a, a sort of gripe that I'm going to bring up in a minute. Uh, other than that, like the characters felt, they, they felt like they had their own voices, which was really nice. Um, and the, the dialogue flew well. And the, the, the moment like, she did a really good job, both like whether she was taking the scene was taking place in the present or jumping back to the past, the past for a flashback. Like the, the overall story, definitely ably handled by Chris Anka's you know expert storytelling, flowed very well. So I really like that. My gripe is that literally of the twenty pages that I read, you know, like two, three, or four, I might have to double check. You know, were like double page splashes and which like are fine if there's like one maybe per issue in, in my opinion um but also like it literally of the 20 pages it all takes place in nico Minoru's apartment like it is just i've i've rescued gertrude but she's still got a dagger in her chest or whatever and we need to save her so everything about the issue is just about basically resuscitating gertrude york's um and then like there's a tease at the end about a villain who's basically going to be dr claw like this person like you don't see their face and they're petting a cat on their lap that apparently can it's like the falcon of cats uh-huh. like they can see through i'm getting the vibe that they can see through the cat's eyes oh boy yeah i don't think i've ever done it here on the show um do you want to hear my dr claw impression uh yeah go ahead do you remember what dr claw sounded like it's very important uh it's been a long time but i'm sure i'll recognize it when you do it right. i'll get you gadget Huh, that's actually uh, like pretty legit. It also works with the uh, Cave of Wonders from um, Aladdin. Touch nothing but the lamp. You're that's, really, that's my, you're really proud of yourself. It's my one thing I can do. <laughs> anyway, 
you can impersonate Doctor Claw from Inspector Gadget and the the Cave of Wonders, Cave of Wonders from Bring Aladdin. Diamond in the rough. That's that's beautiful. Anyway, back to Runaways. Mm-hmm. Um, so overall, like I actually enjoyed the read. Now we really only got to experience things from from Nico and Chase, who who really were like. I mean, every, I think every character in Runaways is important, but I remember at least from my memory, like as the series developed, like Nico and Chase became very big focal point characters for the series. So it's definitely from someone who's familiar with the source material, nice to kind of reintroduce with them. Um, but it was like sad with 20 pages of story at, at their, you know, uh, available, I guess I can't talk apparently. Um, you know, like we didn't get to see Molly. We didn't get to see Carolina. Um, but obviously they're all coming uh, and if as long as like the execution of this first issue carries on to the future issues, I definitely think I will be continuing to read this book. Just hopefully more stuff happens per issue than like what mm-hmm. we got here. Because it just felt to me it just felt like it was a waste of like it was really good for what it was. Like in a bit like and Bendis I know has been hit or miss with me, but in like it was very decompressed. And like if it's written really well, like you can kinda of, and that's the thing, like as much as it's a gripe, it didn't overall the track for my reading of the story it was just like i was into the moment i was into the intensity i liked what was going on but i get maybe it's a good thing like i, I kind of wanted more of it and i was sad that like oh wait we just spent all this time in this one apartment with this one with this one issue but um yeah anyway runaways number one by rainbow rowell and chris anka really good first showing for rainbow rowell so i'm really excited to see what comes next well you know man sets are expensive and you know they can't they can't like pay for a new set all the time. So they gotta you know they just gotta use what they can afford. Yeah, you know Chris Anka, you know he can only draw like an apart like one setting per issue. Exactly. Otherwise, like his hand will cramp up. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Uh, all right. I read this week. Well, very cool. Uh, so people check that out if that is something that you're into. Uh, I read this week New Superman number fifteen, uh, written by Gene Luen Yang. Pencils by Brent Peoples. I didn't read his name until now. Peoples. Uh, inks are by Richard Friend. Colors by Hi-Fi. Letters by David Sharp. Uh, for those who have not been following this comic series, here's kind of the lowdown. There is a kid who is given by the Chinese government the powers of Superman. Uh, and there's also the Justice League of China, which has its own Wonder Woman and its own Batman, its own Flash, and they have to stop the crime that's happening in China, and things kind of seem to sort of revolve around the same places. They deal with a a good amount of villains who are steeped in folklore or in in, uh, spiritualism, Uh, and in the latest storyline, there was, you find out there was another Superman, uh, of China, who is called Superman Zero. Hold on, I'm gonna. And this uh, this new Superman um, has been kind of, has been corrupted to uh, to call himself Emperor Superman and attempt to take over China. Releases a bunch of supervillains, uh, and it's up to Keenan and the other members of the Justice League to stop him. Uh, and when they go to stop him, things are going great. He's winning. But then the Suicide Squad shows up, who was sent by Amanda Waller to kill Emperor Superman and also kill uh, Keenan with a kryptonite sword. Uh, he manages not to get killed, but gets pretty injured. And uh, 
goes back to stop things as uh, there is sort of this personification of the yin and yang, uh, yin and yang, not yin and yang, um, man, I'm such a white guy, uh, who turns the corpse or beat up body of Emperor Superman into sort of a doomsday-like creature. Uh, Keenan manages to strike uh, a powerful final blow to take him down, but at the same time uh, gets further injured himself and presumably dies, uh, but awakens in... Uh, I want to make sure I get the date right, so I'm going to pull up the last page here. Uh, slight spoiler for this comic. Um, but it is 1937 on the streets of America Chinatown, uh, where he is greeted by a sort of stereotypical-looking character with a Fu Manchu uh, wearing the garb you would kind of expect a, a, a Asian character represented in the media to look like. Um, and he says, you are at, and I am, at the very beginning. So this is going to go into some history here. It seems like it's going to get a little bit meta, um, because they also do that thing uh, where, like, all the backgrounds have that kind of, like, pop art style where everything's all, all a bunch of little circles and dots, you know? What I'm talking about? The, um... I don't know if you can really see it. I'm going to hold up the, to the camera. The, the Kirby dots? Uh, sort of. Uh, where it's, like, uh, here, I zoomed, I, check, I zoomed in on stuff there. I don't know if you can see it. No, not really. Okay, well, anyway, it's it's got, like, kind of that very old... Uh, comic style, um, almost like a. I mean, I think Lichtenstein kind of lifted it, but that Lichtenstein look, the pop art look. Yeah, the pop art look. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, this book I think is really cool. It. I, I haven't really felt the effects on it in the DC universe, and that's fine. I like actually having a big two superhero book that I can dig into, um, where I don't have to be too concerned about what's going on with everything else in the DC universe. Uh, I like, I, I'm sure I've said this before when talking about this book, I like the expansion of superheroes into other countries, into other cultures, uh, and it's being treated with, with respect, um, but also dealing with some really interesting issues like, um, like the westernization of Eastern culture, uh, people pushing against that, fighting against that, um, I like the, the theoretical response of like, if America has all these superheroes, how are all these other countries going to respond and, and, and deal with that and deal with also like other supervillains? Uh, this storyline starts to dig into Keenan's story and his family's story a little bit. Um, I don't know how long this comic's going to last for. I hope it lasts for a while. You know, 15 issues is already longer than, you know, most books are going to get outright canceled. Um, and I haven't heard that this book's on the chopping block anywhere. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad. Um, I think it's really cool. I think it's, it's a very different sort of story. Um, I think more people should be checking it out. Even if, you know, I am not Asian. I'm not Asian American. Uh, I am a white guy born in America and I'm really enjoying this. And I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm learning. I've learned a bit, um, about, other cultures and the struggles there that I necessarily would not have gotten. Um, this is just like a, a really cool example of, we talk about like comic books always are kind of political. They can do a lot to introduce you to new ideas. And it, as fun as it is to like, to dig into sci-fi stuff and fantasy stuff and, 
uh, get into like really, really crazy ideas. I really like when they explore a world I'm not familiar with that is real. And I get to uh, I get to experience that through the character and learn about it. It's why I love books like Mouse. Um, I, I'm not saying this is a, a necessarily major cultural touchstone, um, essay the way that Mouse is, uh, but I think that it is an important book, especially right now, um, and people should be checking it out. So, New Superman number fifteen. Uh, and you know it's it's fun and and there's and I I'm enjoying the characters and their interplay and and all that as well. I don't just want to like go on of like the the bigger stuff of it. It is an enjoyable book in how everything is uh, is happening. And I I think the character of Keenan uh, was a little bit grating at first, but he's actually really relatable. And I think um, at this point you can probably pick up the first couple volumes and just kind of binge through those to get a really good feel for the character. Mm-hmm. So, New Superman number 15, which was out this week. And now we're going to talk about the book that nobody expected us to talk about. And that is Dark Knight's Metal number two. Oh, a book about Batman. We've never talked about Batman on this show. No. Now, I want to say, before, I want to preface this uh, by saying that I tweeted out today. Uh, that's right, Nick. I'm going to talk about this. Uh, oh, gosh. I, I tweeted today. Uh, I just read Dark Knight's Metal 2. I feel like Scott Snyder looked at Grant Morrison and said, hold my beer. This tweet this tweet was liked then by Scott Snyder. <laughs> so, just want to say I'm onto something with that. Uh, brief description last time we said Batman, there's some great evil that is trying to get to Batman from the dark universe. From the dark multiverse. Sorry, dark multiverse. My bad. Uh, in this issue, that great evil gets to Batman and everyone else in the world tries to stop it, but fails. Yeah. Yeah, so... I know how I feel about this book. Nick, how do you feel about this book? Uh, I love the art by Greg Capullo. I've always said that. Oh, boy. Um... It it is it's very conflicting for me because on one hand, um, the it's it's it throws so much DC universe at you, uh, and as someone who's like been reading, you know, like it throws a lot of recent DC at you as far as like everything like as far back as like Infinite Crisis through Grant Morrison through more recent stuff like the Dark Side Anti Monitor War, um, like there's so many of these connections that he's tied back into. Um, to fuel this story and i do think that is really cool but there is just so much happening that in in a large part like it's it's cool and it's not cool it's cool from like a nerdy like easter egg perspective to see like oh like this whole thing happened in swamp things swamp but it's like swamp i mean maybe Swamp Thing will play a role in this like other than swamp Thing showing up to be like who's messing with my swamp like i don't know if he's going to do much else well like if he does great i can obviously i only have two issues or technically four issues to go on but like it just felt like we're gonna touch on this and then we're gonna go but again it's also cool because we if for those in the know scott snyder wrote swamp thing at the beginning of the new 52 so 
again, I'm kind of going spinning in circles. It is cool to see all these different connections through DC lore that's been established over the last like 10, 15 years. Um, well, that but... was that whole thing with the swamp thing was just to distract the Justice League and slow them down further. Right, right. But what I mean is like it's all utilized as like. It's bigger than an Easter egg, but basically an Easter egg. Like, we're going to touch on this briefly, but it's not going to match. And that's the problem with big events, though, is, like, you are leveraging so many different characters that they can't get, like, a real moment in the spotlight. And, like, sometimes it's cool to, you know, to, they got, like, a participation trophy, but no one really gives a shit about participation trophies, uh, I guess is my point. Though that scene of Damien driving a giant tank through the uh, swamp... Um, Listen, lady, I am 13 years old and driving a bat hog through the Amazon on a Tuesday morning. I am already winning. I liked that line a lot. I thought that was pretty great. Um, you know, Batman utilizing the family, the whole clay face, you know, reveal again, touching on stuff going on in James Tinney and the force or James Tinney and four, uh, his detective comics run. Like, that's really cool. It was also like really dramatic. Like Superman like looks at him and just like punches, punches through his chest. It's like like it's shocking, but it's like really Superman. Like you, you, you know what? What if you were wrong? Like just no oh, Superman. It's wouldn't possible. Have, Superman wouldn't have done that if he thought he was wrong. Just you never know. It could have happened. But I mean, like that use of Clayface. Like I feel like a lot of people that aren't in the know would be like, what, "Why is Clayface helping Batman? He's a Batman villain." But you know, again, for those in the know, it's it's really cool. Um, also, just just confirm for me: was that the Legion of Doom's Heck, hideout? Yes, it was. I okay. got so excited. <laughs> I saw that and I was like, oh, damn. Uh, I think what really jumped the shark for me, and now that I remember, I think it was actually mentioned in Super Heavy, and I may have, like, been irked then when it happened too, but when, like, the whole, like, and the final medal was called Batmanium. Yeah, it is. I... <sighs> Dude, come on. Come on. You are... All right, look, I, I, get, I get where you're coming from, and I, and I understand... We were saying of like, there's all this stuff going on, but I never like at any point felt like overwhelmed or like they were just like throwing it in to be like, and here's this thing. Like, I, I, I guess I kind of agree on the swamp thing, um, but everything really kind of wove, like felt really nicely woven into the story. Everything that was going on, it, it this issue felt a little bit better paced out, I think, than some of the previous issues, especially like the prequel stuff, which was like three different stories all happening at once, and it felt like there was so much going on. Uh, you know, we're, we've converged now to to kind of the, the, the big event happening that's going to be felt throughout the DC universe in a bit. Uh, I mean, we're just gonna, like, I even felt like Batman carrying baby Darkseid in his backpack worked for me. That's strange. That, okay, I get that it's baby Darkseid, but he was still carrying a baby in a knapsack. Yeah, he was. He was carrying With goggles a baby on it. in a knapsack. With Godwave goggles on it. And his headlamp is bat-shaped. Like, this is why I'm saying, like, it's, it's, it's... Scott Snyder looking at Grant Morrison and saying, hold my beer. Uh, it is just like, we're going to lean in hard to the cerebral quality, to the weird quality. Like, we're just going to go for it. And I'm over here just like, yeah, all right. My hands and feet are tucked in. I've got the uh, the, the the bar down across my lap. Like, take me on this ride, Scott Snyder, because I am in. 
turn so Superman and turn Superman and Wonder Woman into old people, have the weird demon Robins that eat people's entrails. Like, ah, yeah, give me more. And obviously, you and I are at very different points as far as this issue is concerned. And that, I'm not saying that your view on it is invalid. I'm agreeing with you that there is like insanity happening here. I'm just it's, much it's, it's more into it. Like, I get it. Like, events usually are pretty insane. Like, uh, I'm, you know, I in some respects, like, I could be, I, I could be a little nitpicky. Obviously, I've expressed um dislike of some of like scott snyder's like monologuing and stuff and while this didn't really have just the like the the caption boxes monologuing there were just some like speeches or like talking that i was just like okay like people don't really talk like that or whatever like they don't just go on and on and on except for me because that's i mean i'm doing that right now. that's all you do um thanks um, but obviously, like, there were things that, like, I liked the bat-shaped goggles on his head. Like, I'm okay with silly. I'm a, I'm a silly person. Like, I can totally get on board with that. It was just, like, I think another thing, and this really isn't the book's fault per se. They just all, you know, went in doubt, blame marketing. Like, this event was, like, surprisingly, like, not even, like, I guess not surprising, but really was, like, so heavily saturated that for someone like me that, like, really does at this point try to avoid most marketing for stuff so I can go in clean, like, I, like... We've gotten technically four issues. I get that the main book has only been two issues, but we've had really four issues that have been all been leading to something that we that we knew was coming. And uh-huh. so, like when like the Robins, you know, the Joker Robins or whatever came out of the hole and started eating the Corvallis guys, like it was visceral and it was if you find that cool, like that was cool. But it was also just like, oh, and here's the evil Justice League Batman. Justice Batman, Injustice Batman. They're all the Injustice Batman. You know, and like visually they look really cool and like it's, again, visceral is the word that comes to mind, but it was just so expected. It was like, maybe, maybe I'll sing a different tune with issue three where I really don't know what's happening after that. Because it feels like all the marketing everything has led to, they're going to face evil Batman. Uh huh. Now what? So what's going to happen now? So maybe my expectations will change or my opinion will change the deeper we get into the event. I'm invested enough to keep reading it. Just, you know, I look, I've I'm, expressed my reservation. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid here. And I, I gotta say too, I'm, I'm looking up some reviews here. I just to confirm that I'm not crazy for liking this. Uh, I feel like a lot of people are coming out strongly, uh, pro metal. Um, metal is, is also hard, which is what I am as I'm, as I'm digging into this material. Oh my God. It's like, you did not just go there. Yeah, no, I totally went there. <laughs> it, you know, yes, Greg Capullo's art in this is amazing. I'm going to cap my stuff off with that because you lean into that like, well, the art is good. Oh, I didn't uh, say it like that. I said I love Greg Capullo's art. No, you were like let, me, like, let me start with something that's positive before I decide to be done. Right, right, and I did. I, that Greg Capullo's art is really good. Uh-huh. Uh, man, if you thought like this was crazy, I follow him on Twitter, and he was just drawing issue three. And it's gonna get a lot, lot weirder. Oh sure. Oh, you know what? I guess to to kind of put the to focus my point a bit, like it's cool that like we're touching on all these different aspects, and in some cases they're Easter egg. Like the fact that like the the immortal people are hanging out in like the Legion of Doom headquarters is really more of an Easter egg than it being like this is the Legion of Doom headquarters. Right. But every literally everything is connected. 
like it's cool that it's tying into all these different stories and some of them aren't directly connected but in a lot of cases it's like now it's not just that there was batman's like time traveling experience with barbados and all the stuff that happened in grant morrison's but all that seems to also tie into hawkman who's clearly tied into everything um and then it's also tied into like his mace and, and like it's i get like the part of the point of the story is that all this stuff is connected but i always i always get bummed i bummed out is probably the wrong way to put it but i just don't like it when all the dots fit like the universe is random and chaotic a lot of times and it's just like you can have all these huge concepts and they all don't need to be related yeah but when it is it's so much fun no no typically i agree with you i'm like let stuff just kind of be its own thing so far this hasn't felt super like forced at least to me super forced super forced uh that, that has some bad implications uh, and and as as this continues i am going to be digging in quite a bit into some of the crossovers uh, and when the next issue of metal comes out i'm sure we will discuss it here we want to hear your thoughts on it please find us on twitter at heck yeah comics or email us heck yeah comics at gmail.com we're going to transition now into our recommendations to round out the show you boys aren't nerds, are you? We are indeed nerds. Nick, do you have anything, anything that you can recommend to the people? Not really, uh, though I did have How the Universe Works on in the background from the Science Channel on yesterday. And like that was really interesting learning about how like eventually the universe is just going to end with like a bunch of black holes eating each other until there's only one left and then there's nothing. So like that's, and then time begins anew. So, I mean, like I actually don't really, I mean like it was interesting, but I don't know if I recommend how the universe works. So, so no, 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 I don't, I got nothing. David, what are you recommending? You know, I, I kind of recommended it earlier, um, but I'm going to go ahead and recommend it again. I really do recommend that people go, Get New Superman Volume One on Amazon. It is eleven fifty five, uh, so it's twelve dollars. That is like nothing uh, at all for uh, for the paperback. Yeah, it is totally worth your time. Uh, I I don't really know what else I can say about it that I haven't already said. So people check it out. I guess that's gonna do it here for the show since Nick is so lame. I just um, I got nothing. I got nothing. Yeah. Well, of course, you can check out how lame Nick is by heading over to heckyeahcomics.com or following us on Twitter at heckyeahcomics. And as we've mentioned, emailing us heckyeahcomics at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram under the username DavLuz. That is D-A-V-L-U-Z. You can find Nick attempting to recreate the likeness of Grand Moff Tarkin using tartar sauce wherever that is sold. And, of course, you can find this show here, same heck yeah time, same heck yeah channel. Until then, goodbye. Worst episode ever.